Well, Brother Chris <clears throat> took a great risk in uh, asking me to fill in for him while he was away this Sunday, but I'm sure it improved his prayer life because uh, he's been <laughs> praying very diligently that <clears throat> things wouldn't all come apart. And uh, thank God for Romans 8:28, the promise that says, "All things work together for good to them that love God." So. Uh, <clears throat> We're counting on that. We're counting on him here today. We're coming to close, close to the end of 2013. Today and two more days, and, and the year is done. And the passage of scripture that the Lord put upon my heart to use for a message today reminded me of something that I used to experience every year in the military, and that is the making out of a fitness report on every officer as to how things had gone in his responsibilities for that year, the past year. And we'd get to read it before it sent, went to headquarters. And uh, so in there we could find out what things the commanding officer thought we had done well and what things could stand some improvement. And it went into the records, and so whenever promotion time came and you were in the, in the range of those eligible for promotion, they'd look over all those records and see if you were fit for promotion to a higher rank. And so as I was meditating on the scripture God gave me, I thought, well, that'd be a good message and a good illustration for, for us today. We all hear about people talking about New Year's resolutions. And what that means is that uh, there are some things they didn't get just right in 2013, so they're going to try to make a plan to get it right in 2014. And so uh, uh, we, we all tend to think in those kind of terms as we come to the end of a year. We've got income tax coming up. <clears throat> That's another type of fitness report we're going to have to all look at. Uh, we'll have to give account for all of our income. See if we've paid enough taxes yet, and if not, we're going to have to fork over some more to the feds. And so uh, all kinds of things like this are coming up at this time of the year. And uh, <clears throat> so I wanted to talk about our fitness report for 2013. What have we received in 2013? Well, it would be hard to name it all. But there's a psalm that tells us really clear what we received from the Lord in this past year. Beginning with verse 1 of Psalm 103, it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. And so here is a description of what we have received because of God's grace and mercy and love. We have received forgiveness for all of our transgressions. Now, isn't that wonderful? 
that we don't have to fear at the end having to have that record all read in front of everybody of all the things we ever did, good and bad. Oh, mercy. How I would hate to have to stand there and have all of that recited to the whole world. I won't have to. He's forgiven all my iniquities. He's healed all my diseases. Some of you probably were sick during 2013, but here you are. You're well, and you're healed. And so he's good at doing that for us. He knows how we're made because he made us. He knows when things aren't right. He knows how to fix it. And so we can go to him, and we can get from him the healing we need. He goes on to say that he redeems our life from destruction. I don't know if you're aware of all of the things that could have wiped you out this year, but uh, you probably all can think of some things. A, a close call on the highway, a loss of balance on the ladder, or in some other way, just a number of, of things could have happened, but it didn't work out to destroy your life. And so this is something also that we've received, the Bible says, from him. He redeemeth our lives from destruction. Boy, can I go back and think of uncountable numbers of times. That could have been the end for me. But here I am still still going. Talks about him just uh, <clears throat> blessing us with Tender mercies, loving kindness, and tender mercies. Satisfying our mouths with good things so that our youth is renewed like the eagles. Yeah, we've, we've received an awful lot in 2013 as we look back. And that's just kind of a summary. If we tried to go into the details, we'd be here all day. And that chapter concludes by saying in verse 22, the last verse of that chapter, it said, bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. We need to acknowledge, as we look back on 2013, how richly God has blessed us. And yet, when he has blessed us that richly, there's something expected of us because of all of those blessings. And in Luke chapter 12, we're told in verse 48, Unto whomsoever much is given, of him much is required. And it goes on to, to uh, make it plain to us that whenever anyone entrusts a lot to you, they expect a lot out of you. And so as we look at all that we've received, it tells us that God expects something from us in return for all of those goodnesses. He expects something of us. It goes on to say in verse 51, Do you suppose that I am come to give peace on the earth, Jesus said? I tell you, no, but rather division. And so you might say, well, that's... <clears throat> 
this year has had some difficult times for me. Well, Jesus said it would. Every year we'll have some difficult times. Jesus didn't come to give total peace in the world. Oh, well, what about the message of the angels when they said, peace on earth? Well, they added that phrase, to those with whom God is pleased. He does give peace to those with whom he is pleased. But he didn't guarantee there was going to be peace over the whole world. And we see the evidence of that all the time. I guess one of the most recent and most widely known incidents of that was what A&E Network <clears throat> did to Phil Robertson. Because of a statement that he made in an interview, they were asking him some questions, and, and he went along with what the Bible said about homosexuality, that it's a sin in God's sight. And A&E Network threw him under the bus. And, uh, and have you ever seen such an uprising? <laughs> so that A&E Network turned around and put him back, reinstated him, and tried to say, yeah, but, and blah, 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 blah. But uh, we see evidences of this. We see evidences that there is not peace all over the earth, but there can be peace for those with whom God is pleased. And so when we live up to what God expects from all that he's given unto us and blessed us with, we can expect to have peace from him. God looks at us and, and looks at us with the idea of fitness report. The Bible shows us that in the second and third chapters of the Revelation. Jesus dictates seven letters to seven churches to the Apostle John. And in those letters to those churches, he acknowledges the things that they did well like the first one to Ephesus. He said to them, you've been faithful and working hard and you've been faithful in trying to stay true to doctrines and, that are right and, and uh, not buying into those that are wrong. But he said, the problem is, and you do have a serious problem, he said, you're all doing it as a matter of duty to make yourselves feel better, that I did my duty. I went to church. He said, you've left your first love. And if you don't get back to your first love, all of this is going to be worthless. And I'm going to have to take your candlestick and put it out. And he went on and gave a report on all seven of those churches. And I don't have time to go in detail uh, to all of them, but, uh, but he... In each one, he gave him credit for the things they were doing that was good and, and right. But he also pointed out those things that needed to change, where they were missing it and needed to do different and do better. And uh, he comes all the way to the last one. And, and to that church, Laodicea, he said about them, you're neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either hot or cold, but you're not. You're lukewarm. I remember hearing about a pastor that was asked to speak to a youth group of a church. And in his lesson to the youth group, uh, he put up on a board 
a line, and on one end he put a zero, on the other end he put a 10, and he said, this is the line of where your life is spiritually. If you're completely cold and dead, you're down here on the zero end. If you're completely on fire for God, you're up here on the 10 end of this line. I want each one of you to come and take the marker and make a circle on where you are on this line of zero to 10. And so one by one, they lined up and came and made a marker on where they, they were. And after they'd finished, the preacher took the marker and he said, look where all the dots are. They're all here in the five and six range. He drew a circle around it. There were a few below there and a few above there, but almost all of them were in that circle. He said, let me tell you what God thinks of your youth group. And then he read this passage of that letter to the Laodiceans to them. And he said, God says, because you're, he said, where, where you are, you're neither cold nor hot. You're here in the middle. You're lukewarm. God says, because you're lukewarm, you're so wishy-washy, so, such a stinking mess, he said, he makes me want to throw up. I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. He said, that's what God thinks of your youth group, the way you are right now. You need to make something different about your life. You need to move up to either, or move down, admit you're cold, or get up there on fire for the Lord. Well, God is writing fitness reports. Someday we'll see them all, and we'll understand why we got the reward we got, or why we didn't get a reward that we might have gotten. But these are things that God is looking at. We need to look at them. We need to decide. Well, I wanted to share with you a, a passage that sort of describes the world we live in, in uh, chapter 13 of the Gospel of Luke. It says, There were present at that season some that told Jesus of the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answering said unto them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans? He said, Because they suffered such things? He answered his own question, I tell you, nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. And then he said, how about those 18 upon whom the tower of Siloam fell and killed them? Do you suppose that they were sinners above all the men that dwell in Jerusalem? I tell you, nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. And so Jesus was dealing with some things that had happened right there in their, in their world and in their time frame, just right there around them, some things that had happened. There was this incidence of social violence where Pilate didn't like what this group of believers were doing in sacrificing to God and following his leadership and commands. And so he decided to put a stop to it, and he had them slaughtered right there in the midst of offering their sacrifices. And their blood was mingled with the blood of their sacrifices. 
social violence. So many people think that's the way to respond to things that don't go the way they wish they'd go. We see it all the time, don't we, in our newspaper reports and in our uh, television news. Um, it's just really so disappointing that there's so much of this killing, mass killings and individual murders, so much of this that uh, people don't even know why they did it, but uh, somebody got mad and decided the thing to do is kill somebody. And so we're seeing it all the time going on around us in our own country and around the world. This social violence. Well, that's not the only way that it's expressed. I mentioned uh, what A&E Network did to Phil Robertson of the Duck Dynasty. But there are ways that, uh, that social violence affects us. Uh, the leaders of the country can decide, well, let's just tax them a little bit more. As long as they still got some money, let's tax it until they don't have any more. And uh, this is a form of social violence. Just take it away from them. Find a way to get it, whether they get anything in return or not. There's the element of imprisonment, that if you don't go along with politically correct stuff, we can put you in jail. And if you're too bad at that, we can just have you executed for treason against your country. I mean, these are the kinds of things that are around us already in the world around us, the kind of social violence. The idol that they worship is power, those who do these kinds of things. They think the power is in my hands. I can fix it, and I've got the power to do it. Well, <clears throat> the other incident that Jesus mentioned, the Tower of Siloam that collapsed and fell and on people and killed 18. Jesus said, do you think that they were the worst men in all Jerusalem because they got hit by that? He said, no, that's not what that was about. What that was about was social carelessness, which means they could care less about anybody else. Whoever built that tower, if they had built it properly with good materials, that thing would still be standing unless somebody intentionally tore it down. It would still be standing. But it didn't. It didn't last very long, and it just collapsed. Somebody used shoddy materials and shoddy workmanship and saved themselves a lot of expense and charged a big price for it. And so they not only cheated the people that paid to get a good tower built, but they caused the death, premature death, of 18 people, and I don't know how many others might have been injured. And so this is social carelessness, an example of social carelessness. And we have that going on around us. The idol of people who are th like that is money. Money is their idol. They don't care about what happens to other people as long as they get money out of the deal. This seems to be the thing that is so prevalent right now. People think if you give us money, we'll fix it. And they, they make that offer to us in all kinds of ways, with letters and with advertisements and phone calls. Give us money and we'll fix it. <laughs> uh, I tried that. Uh, several years ago and decided that is a waste of money. I've given them money, other people have, not a thing has changed. So we have to deal with that, social carelessness. Jesus said, unless you repent, you're all going to suffer from things like this, unless you repent. That's talking about Jesus is looking at the fitness report, and he's seeing that there's a lot that's not there that ought to be there. There's a lot that is there that shouldn't be there. And so he's giving us this advice, this counsel, that unless you repent and do what's right, 
not because you can get your way, not because you can make money out of the deal, but you do what's right because it's right in God's sight. And so this is what Jesus is trying to get across in this passage. And uh, <clears throat> I want to go down now to the next verses because it's, that's followed by a parable that Jesus tells. In verse 6, he said, He spoke also this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. And he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. Then he said to the dresser of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why cumbereth it the ground? And he answering said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also till I shall dig about it and dung it. And if it bear fruit, well. And if not, then after that you shall cut it down. Jesus told this parable to go along with those events that were happening in the world around them at that time. This parable is describing a bad fitness report. And it's meant to apply to us as individuals, just like when he wrote those letters, when Jesus wrote those letters to the seven churches. He gave a summary of what the church was like but it was because of the individuals in those churches that the church was like that. Just because something has the name church doesn't mean everything that goes on there is the way it ought to be. And that was true back there. There were only two churches that Jesus didn't have any thing he had to correct about them. The church at Smyrna, which was a poor church. But Jesus said, really, but spiritually, you're rich. You may be poor in material things, but spiritually you're rich. And he complimented that church and gave promises to them to stay steadfast in the way they were going. The other church that didn't have any corrections to have to be made was the church at Philadelphia. And Jesus said to that church, he said, I'm putting an open door before you. This was a prospering church. And he said, I'm putting an open door before you so that no man can shut it. Your influence is going to go out and touch people all around where you are. That door is going to be open and nobody can shut it because you've been the kind of church I want a church to be. That's two of them. The other five all had things wrong that needed to be corrected. But it was because of the individuals in the church. Sometimes there were some that wanted to live for fun and pleasure like Balaam got the people, children of Israel off the track God wouldn't let him pronounce a curse on those people coming out of Egypt to the promised land. God wouldn't let Balaam pronounce a curse on them. But Balaam wanted that money that the king of Moab had offered him and that position of influence and, and uh, status. And so he says, well, I can't curse them, but I can tell you what. If you'll throw a big feast and invite them to it and have your best-looking women dressed in enticing type clothes and behaving in a very enticing way, you'll get those people off the track and God will punish them. And they'll have to suffer because of what they did, not because I cursed them. And so the king of Moab did that. And guess what? 
That's exactly what happened. Many of the Israelite men were enticed to get in on that. And because of that, many of them died a quick and premature death because they did what Balaam suggested. Is that going on still? Wow, is it ever. This is exactly what you were seeing in advertisements, in all kinds of television programs, all kinds of other media. This is what we're seeing. And that was what was wrong in some of the churches. People were buying into that and saying, oh, that's, we want to keep that. We'll go to church, but we want to keep those things because that's fun. Well, God is saying in this, if you make that kind of choice, you're like the fig tree that isn't going to bear any fruit. I can come looking every year. I'm not finding any. And so a bad fitness report, when God sees it, the view of justice is that that thing is worthless. It's a worthless life. It's not accomplishing anything good. It's taking all the things I'm doing for it and doing nothing good by its own choice. It's all taken and no giving. And so the view of justice sees that. The view of justice says this has taken up space, this life has taken up space that a more productive person could be occupying and getting something done. It's just in the way. The view of justice sees that. The view of justice says we've waited long enough. That person should have gotten a point by now. If they still don't see the point, then why wait any longer? They're never going to get the point. So that's the view of justice in looking at this. And God can see things that way. But thank God, he also has a view of mercy. He doesn't just see the justice side of it. He sees the mercy side of it. And the mercy side, he says, let's give it one more year. Let's not give up on it yet. Let's give it one more year. And in that year, let's do extra encouraging of this individual to get to work on doing the right things and getting the wrong things out of his life, his or her life. Let's give, give it one more year and let's do extra stimulation, extra nourishment, which is what it means by digging around it. You know, if you, if you do that at the drip line of a plant like that, you uh, nip off the, the tips of the roots and that encourages the roots to put out more roots to replace the part that was lost. And so it gets a better root system. So I said, let's, let's do that. Let's do some stimulating, extra stimulating of this life. And let's, when it says dung it, it means fertilize it. Let's put some extra fertilizer around there to help encourage the growth of this plant and the health of this plant. And so the, the view of mercy said, let's do that. Let's also put fertility into that person's life, nourishment, and uh, make them even better nourished than they have been the past three years. And let's look real carefully for any sign of fruitfulness. If we see a tiny little flower, we'll know, uh-oh, yeah, things are beginning to change. There's something showing up here that hadn't been there before. We've got, we can expect something out of this life. And so that's the view of mercy. God sees our lives in both views. 
he sees the view of justice, he sees the view of mercy. And uh, because he sees both, he wants to give us one more chance. He's waited long enough. By now, something should have happened on our part. We can learn from this parable. There are three things, I think, that really stand out. One is God wants us to trust him and obey him. Whether we understand it fully or not isn't what counts. Just trust him and obey him. We need to do the things that he tells us to do. In 1 John chapter 2 and verse 3, it says, Hereby we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. Now his commandments are not grievous if we love him. We can delight in doing things his way if we love him. We ought to love him because he has so loved us. As I mentioned in Psalm 103, all those things he does for us shows he loves us. If he loves us that much, we ought to love him in return. And so this is what John, 1 John is, is telling us. He says, don't love the world or the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. All that's in the world is lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. This is not of the Father. That's worldly stuff. The world's going to pass away, and the lust thereof. But he that does the will of God will abide forever. So we've got a choice to make. Do we want to enjoy things that we can have for just a few years? Or do we want to have things that we can enjoy for 10,000 years, and then that's just the beginning. I mean, what would, what would be the sensible choice? To enjoy something that you're only going to have a few years and it's not right? Or enjoy what is right for 10,000 years, and then that's just a start? Makes sense, doesn't it? To do the will of the Father, not don't love the things of the world. The lust of the flesh... Stuff that's fun, feels good, pleasurable. Lust of the eyes. I just want to look good. I just want people to look at me and say, wow. Uh, pride of life. Oh, what a great person I am. Oh, everybody should look at me. Wow, what a... Yeah, those are the things that are of the world. Don't go for those. Well, the second thing this parable can tell us is that we need to grow. Grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord. We need to do that every year of our lives. We need to keep growing. We never get to the point where we don't need to grow anymore. These were the Apostle Peter's last words in his second epistle. And he closed it out by saying that, uh, You know, beloved, since you know these things, beware lest you also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness but instead grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to him be glory both now and forever amen and so these this is another thing we can learn that we need to grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord and then the last thing I think that he we can see here is that we need to grow in uh, wisdom and understanding, we need to put that first, that we get wisdom and understanding. In Proverbs 
we're told in a, in a brief, just a brief picture, so much is said about that in Proverbs, but in verse 5 of chapter 4, it says, get wisdom, get understanding. Don't forget it. Don't decline from these words of my mouth. He goes on uh, to say, wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get it, get wisdom, put it first. And with all you're getting, get understanding. If you don't know these things and you don't understand them properly, you're going to really be in the mess that is described by a bad fitness report. Now, it's not my business to try to tell you all what to do. I don't know you well enough. I know that God's Word tells us these things. It's for all of us. It's not just for you here and you there and me. It's for all of us. This is for all of us. We're all supposed to think about what kind of fitness report is going in on me for 2013. I still have almost three days left to do something about my fitness report. I can get some things straightened out. If God's speaking to me about something, I can, do, I can say, yes, Lord, and do it. And so as we come to the close of this message and of this service, I'm going to trust God to speak to our hearts and tell us what it is he wants us to do. He knows what it is. He knows how to speak to our hearts. He knows how to get the point across. We may not like it, but we can know it's from him. It's him speaking to us. And if there's something he wants you to do, and he's speaking to you about it today, when is a better time to obey, trust him and obey, than right now? Now is the accepted time. When he speaks, the Bible says that's the accepted time. That's the day when things can be made right, the day he's speaking to you about it. If you put it off, you get hardened. And he speaks again, and you put it off, and you're hardened a little bit more until you can get so hardened you don't even hear anymore when he tries to speak to you about important things that you need to do. And so we're going to have a prayer and then a time of invitation and let you respond to what God is saying to you as an individual about your fitness report. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, I'm glad that you do care about us, that we're not just roaming around here, nobody, no one are caring about us. You're watching us every moment of every day. You care about us doing the right thing and getting the kind of rewards that you can give. And so, Lord, that's my desire, too, that every one of us will listen to you and do your will, do what pleases you. Don't try to please just ourselves or other people, but do what pleases you. And in these moments of decision time, Lord, I do ask that you, by your Holy Spirit, will speak to us about what you want us to do. Let us know so we can do it and get things right before this year ends. We pray in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together as we have our time of invitation.
Ministers are down front to help you with anything that the Lord is calling you to do. So come and do what he says for you to do. Awesome.